This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 1037 the game and welcome everybody under the dome with cd getting officially underway on this louisiana saturday afternoon hopefully you have a great one so far, and you make it a spectacular Saturday. We're coming to you live, as always, from the beautiful First South Farm Credit Studios. Baby, we're looking good. And appreciate you listening in however you're doing so, be it through that old school FM dial. Power of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. Oh yeah! And we are always appreciative of you listening in as well through the free mobile app. And also those fancy schmancy smart speakers that they have, Amazon Alexa, Google Home. Appreciate you listening in however you're doing so on this Louisiana Saturday morning. And hey, you know, why not, you know... If you're drinking that second cup of coffee or popping that first top, get a little day drinking going on. And trust me, if you're a Pelicans fan, you definitely probably have been doing that for a good bit already this year with this season. Mind you, it's been a year since everything kind of shut down, so maybe maybe you had been day drinking for a while. But, you know, more power to you. We're going to go ahead and get down to brass tacks here on this Louisiana Saturday morning. Going to go ahead and come right out the gates with who I've got on the show today. If you didn't see the little preview vid we've got up, Right now on our Twitter and Facebook pages, facebook.com slash 1037thegame and at 1037thegame on Twitter. You can also follow me at Clint Doming, C-L-I-N-T-D-O-M-I-N-G-U-E. We're going to have on John Neighbors of 1037 The Buzz. That's right, 1037 The Game, 1037 The Game, and 1037 The Buzz, excuse me. We're tag teaming for a little... LSU-Arkansas preview because it's going to be a big game, LSU, in the semifinals for the first time since 2005. Think about that stat right there. I mean, this is the first time they've won a SEC tournament game since 2016. That alone is just a mind blow in and of itself. But we'll get to that in a little bit, 1130, then 1230. Ross Jackson, Locked On Saints, Canal Street, uh, yeah, Canal Street Chronicles. I just want to say his other place that he used to do stuff for, but yeah, Canal Street Chronicles and Locked On Saints podcast. We're going to talk about those New Orleans Saints and what's going on with them? Because there's a lot of stuff that we need to get to concerning what the cap space hell looks like. Because right now they've dropped that thing down about $10 million. We'll talk about that a lot more later. But, of course, the, the 1037 The Game hotline, almost said the other thing, the 1037 The Game hotline is wide open, my friends. So make sure you get in on the action, 337-706-0111. We're coming in hot, and we're coming in fast. Let's go ahead and get this party started right with... What we do each and every Saturday to start off the show, your Saturday sports sermon. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. It's crazy just to look back at how much has changed in just one year. 
I can remember being here inside the first South Farm Credit Studios just as the news came out about Rudy Gobert and then Tom Hanks contracting COVID-19, testing positive. Then by the time I got home and decompressed, the NBA season was done. By the time we get to Thursday afternoon on March the 12th, everything started to be shut down. No March Madness, no more college baseball or softball. It sucked to see that, especially for the raging Cajuns because Cajuns baseball, they were starting to turn the corner. Cajuns softball probably poised to have their best season ever, ever, because they had two really solid pitchers, and it felt like that was a team that was destined for the OKC. I can remember being in a bar that Friday the 13th, and all the TVs in the bar had it on Sports Center, but there were no sports to talk about. I, I can remember driving around that Friday morning, listening in to the Dan Patrick show and hearing them talk, and it wasn't about sports. It was all about Rudy Gobert and what this could mean for the future of sports. I mean, the MLB season was also getting delayed significantly, mind you. Some of that was because of you know billionaires fighting with millionaires. And you know my thoughts on all that stuff that happened last year and what a mess it was. But then we started hearing about the stay-at-home orders and working from home. Never in a million years would I have thought they were still dealing with this stuff a year later. I thought it would have been a couple months or so of dealing with this, and it'll all largely blow over, and things will be back to some sort of form of normal. Well, that wasn't the case, and we've had to adapt. One year after everything shut down, we're nearing the NCAA tournament playing entirely in a bubble in Indianapolis. The NBA season is going pretty damn swimmingly outside of a couple of positive cases here and there. It's not necessarily been crippling the NBA. They've been able to get their games in. They've postponed some, but it hasn't hurt the season all that much. MLB, they're nearing the start of the 2021 season. I know the Astros had a lot of positive cases, but at the end of the day, they're still able to keep that bubble and keep this ride going in spring training. Mind you, the Astros have a lot more problems the COVID cases, because they keep getting injured. It's like they can't quite get right on that team. And that's not even talking about, you know, football. The sport of football on all levels that matter here, that's all levels, college, pro, high school. In the state of Louisiana, they all wrapped up, reached their conclusion. Were there bumps in the road? Of course there were bumps in the road. But that's kind of is what it is. It's just the fact that we got to this point is it felt like back in March or April that we didn't think that we'd be able to get to this point right now. But here we are a year later and the last year in sports has really amplified how great, you know, the human race as a whole is easy to think about it. You know, we're not packing it in as a group of humanoids when times are tough, chips are down. We're pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps and making this thing work. Honest to God, we actually managed to pull off a football season. Not quite in full with some sports like college and high school football, but we got to it. We got to the finish line. At the end of the day, there's a, there's a phrase in pro wrestling that says, you know, no matter how great an overall show can be, it's all about how it ends. And like AEW Revolution last week, that show ended not with a bang, but with a whimper, if you will. I'm not going to say what I said on the Cage Strong Style podcast, which you can check out 
right now. Pretty darn good episode, if I do say so myself. But we made this thing work. We got to, we're getting towards that literal finish line, if you will. Fast forward today. That light at the end of the tunnel, it's shining bright. And hopefully, according to what we've heard from POTUS, 4th of July weekend, we could have things be back to some form of normal. We could have people have smaller gatherings, and, and or bigger gatherings, I should say, and have more people around. And then we can get to that point. And then we can get possibly to full attendance at Cajun Field, Tiger Stadium, the Superdome, and any other venue across the state, and probably the whole damn country too. Maybe not, maybe not some of those left-leaning states, but it is what it is. I am absolutely happy about the fact that this is going down. We're starting to get towards that point, and I know that first game when you have full attendance at Cajun Field, Tiger Stadium, hell, Tiger Stadium especially. When you have 100,000 people rocking after largely kind of being subdued this year, I guarantee you that that place is going to be jumping like crazy. When you're calling Baton Rouge, it's going to be the loudest cheer you've ever heard. And I hope to God LSU just allows them to play neck right out the gate because we need that. We need these. I, I'm just going to say it now. When a lot of people are together, after over a year of not being able to do the things that they love to do, I think the energy is going to be there. I think there's just going to be so many people getting rowdy, getting wild, and absolutely having themselves a hell of a time. At least it's just what I've been thinking about over the last year. As a wrestling fan, we haven't had wrestling shows outside of what's on television for the most part. Independent wrestling here in Louisiana has been shut down. And honestly, I can't wait for the first show, whatever it is. Full crowds. The energy there will be enough to power an entire town for a week. I know WrestleMania is right around the corner. They're going to have supposedly 75,000 fans inside of Raymond James. But I think we're getting there. And that's a good thing. Hell, that's a great thing. Because we were able, as a society, to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and get through this. It's like, the, it's like the monologue in Independence Day. We're going to live on. That's exactly what we did. We lived on, and now we can start making the steps and making the strides to move forward and get to the to that next step. And I think the next step in the world of sports is full stadiums. Because if you want to see Cajun Field, Tiger Stadium, whatever it is, this is going to be that golden opportunity. Just got to wait a little bit longer. And we're going to get to that point. And I was hearing Jordy say this the other day, and I have to like vehemently disagree with him. And it's the fact that he said that you need to have a vaccination card to get in Tiger Stadium. He said that he thinks that would happen. I don't think so. I think that's a long shot and a half of even happening. Because that would just that would cause a, a big you know brouhaha in and of itself. But I say to call up the 1037 game hotline, 337-706-0111. Let's get to it right now. Hello, you're on under the dome. Yes, uh, good morning. Hey, what's yeah, up? It, would, it, would, it actually would cause a big brouhaha because we still have a lot of stupid people out there. Yeah. Um, 
and, and you said that we've, we've gotten through this, and we're getting through it. Yes, you're right. Um, some of these, unfortunately, we have to bring some some people along with us, kicking and screaming. Yeah. To get to get through it, which is really sad. Instead of being instead of doing something for the greater good, we still have a lot of stupid people out here. Um, so what's going on with the Pels? They look like crap night before last, and last season they couldn't miss anything. Um, and, and, and we played two fairly bad teams, I would say. Uh, you know, if I was just to look at it, I would say the Pels are much better than either team they they played these past two days. Uh, what's your take on that? I appreciate the call. And, you know, when it comes to the New Orleans Pelicans, I'll say this. This team has always just had that inconsistency. And I think it's a lot of it has to do with the fact of the way they are trying to be played as. And it's basically, it's just always been that way. Especially with Alvin Gentry and now Stan Van Gundy. Remember, I've absolutely said, hey, you know, we're going to see Alvin Gentry's team. There was always Gold State Warriors light. Pace of play, pace of play, pace of play. And I heard that every single day, and I got frustrated every time I did hear it. Because it was just never ending, the conversation of that. With Stan Van Gundy, it's defense, defense, defense. Here's the thing, for the most part, and I've mentioned this before on the show, that defense, for the most part, doesn't really exist in this NBA. It's just the fact of the matter is, I want to see this team succeed, but they can't get out of their own way. They are a sieve defensively because they allow over 100 points damn near every single game. I think outside of a handful of games early on the season, every game they've allowed 100 points. So you have to have shooters to keep up with it. You don't have shooters. You've got, you have got you gave away your best shooter to get old Eric Bledsoe and some other guy that you basically traded off for spare parts. This is where you're at now. Now you've got to try and, and you've got J.J. Redick, old man, and the three deal with old man pains. So, yeah, he's out for a week or so. Now you got to try and find somebody that's going to be good enough as a shooter. And, honestly, Lonzo Ball's inconsistent as a shooter. He looked decent last night, but it's like it boggles the mind. I agree with what you just said. They had one of their best defensive performances last night. I didn't really watch much of the game because I was more focused on LSU. Also, the fact that my cable provider does not carry Fox Sports New Orleans is almost a damn travesty. Wish I'd known that earlier. But, you know, it is what it is. I can say right here, right now, that this Pelicans team absolutely has to get their act together and have a more complete performance every night. I'm not saying, you know, Oh, under 100 points allowed is going to be a thing. But I feel like El- this Pelicans team has to, has to be buyers of the trade deadline, also sell off some big pieces. Lonzo Ball is the biggest piece that you can sell right now and be able to get something out of it. Because J.J. Redick is probably just going to get you some spare parts again. This team, at best right now, is a playing team. And I'm very much doubting that. I'd say if I were to give that a confidence level, it's about a four for me. It's a four for me when it comes to the Pelicans making the play-in tournament, whatever you want to call it. Meanwhile, I'd say at where they're at, I think they could be lottery pick-bound before long. 
Yankees. And that'd be a good thing for them in the future because they'd be able to get some more talent for the now. But they've but if they want to make a playoff run, you've got to make a lot of changes offensively. You've got to make a lot of changes with your roster. And the biggest thing you're going to have to do is make trades. All right, it's under the dome with CD. We'll keep the phone lines open for a little bit. You can call us up 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. Get in on the conversation right now by the Pelicans. We'll get some LSU talk next Is they came away with a big win over Ole Miss. It was far from easy. We'll talk about that and more next right here on 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Considered world famous, but he still goes out and eats a shrimp po' boy just like the rest of us. Just don't talk to him while he's eating. Lay off me, I'm starving. Now back to Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station. Smart up the right side of the floor. Stop, transition, three, go! And LSU, just like that, jumping all over Ole Miss. It's 36-29, matches their largest lead of the game. It's seven. And welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. And we've got John Neighbors, host of Out of Bounds, joined the program in about 10 minutes. But in the meantime, we need to get to what happened last night. LSU survives and advanced against Ole Miss last night. Did something they haven't done since the 2016 season and won an SEC tournament contest. Fun fact, that was back whenever Ben Simmons was on the team before that team kind of just checked out and said they're not going to play in the NIT. And then John Jones, Johnny Jones, a year after that, got fired because, well, he sucked. And that was an underwhelming team that next season because, you know, after you lose a big-name talent like Ben Simmons, who really didn't want to be there, just wanted to go ahead and play basketball for a little bit because he had to, which is why I feel like the one-and-done rule is just a joke sometimes. But it's amazing. LSU beat Ole Miss 76-73. And if you were betting the over, my friend, you were probably sweating like a cow in a slaughterhouse, man. That was absolutely a nail-biter and a half because this team, both teams just could not shoot the ball worth a damn. I mean, LSU's Shooting from field goal range, 44.6%. Ole Miss, 40.6%. So not too much shooting. In fact, both teams, I mean, yeah, Ole Miss made 26 shots from the field. LSU made 29. Three-point shooting wasn't much better. LSU had one more three-pointer attempt and also had one more three-point make. They were, and ironically, Ole Miss was better at shooting from th- from the free throw line, 75% from the charity stripe as opposed to 68%. I know stats don't work really well on the radio, but it's in- it's interesting to see how things were, especially when you look at how lopsided some of the stats were. LSU, phenomenal on the fast break. Ole Miss was really good in cutting up LSU in second chance points. I know LSU had at least, I think, one or two opportunities that they converted on on second chance. In fact, I saw one late in the contest, that was like a third chance opportunity, kind of like you had a shot, then you got threw up an extra shot, but that missed, and then you had a tip in. That was absolutely fun to watch, that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you probably could have lost that ball game because of the fact that you were allowing them to get back in it 
because of second chance points. And we keep mentioning it all the time. This team goes as far as Darius Days goes. He was a big performer last night. He had a double-double, 20 points and 12 boards. But I think the real story is Cam Thomas, who had a really bad first half, only four points in the first half, wound up racking up 14 more in the second half for going for 18 points. He had a couple three-pointers, and some of them were absolutely immaculate. I was saying at one point, Darius Days was the only reason why this team was still in it. I think that's still justifiable. Trenton Watford definitely deserves a lot of credit as well. 11-14 from the field for 24 points. And he had some really good shots. Seven boards. Had a couple assists as well. But it was really impressive to see how he was kind of handling the ball at certain points in the ball game. Watford deserves a lot of credit for the win as well. But again, LSU coming away with a huge win. Now it's out of the frying pan and into the fire. Because... They're playing Arkansas. They split the series against Arkansas. I, I believe they split the series the first year with Eric Musselman. And this is an Eric Musselman and also David Patrick team, two former LSU coaches in that building. That's going to be a lot of fun to see how that all pans out. I'm looking forward to seeing how everything's going to work with LSU-Arkansas. It's the third time these teams play each other. And the winner will be playing Alabama. Probably is going to be a number one seed when this is all said and done. I haven't seen the latest bracketology gimmick from Joe Lenardi. I'm going. To, I'm seeing he posted something just a little while ago, about five minutes ago. His latest seed list. And LSU he has right now as a seven seed. Whoa, ski whoa there. And then Alabama is the Still fifth overall. You've got the top four is Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Illinois. you got Texas. They are going to be in the three-seed slot. And then Kansas right behind them. Hopefully they can be ready to go and okay in terms of handling this. Because if not, then you're probably going to move a bunch of people up. LSU moves out of the line because based off of what I'm looking at, I think LSU... If this holds, and we see LSU stay as a seven seed after if they win or lose tonight, win or lose this afternoon, I feel like they're they going to come away with a win. I've got a feeling that's where we're at. And Alabama again, Alabama wins the SEC tournament. They're going to be a top four seed. I feel like because you can't. It's tough to deny them. Now, yes, Illinois is going to be the one real big X factor in all this. And we're talking about Arkansas. Arkansas is currently a three-seed. I talked about it earlier this week with Ben. And when it comes to LSU basketball, if they were going to still be an eight-seed, and they were kind of a fringe eight-seed for a bit, I think I'd say they're they're around a 32-team because then you'd be going up against a Gonzaga. You'd be going against one of those teams versus a team like a... Now you're going to be more likely than not. Sadly, <laughs> you win that. I believe it's a seven ten matchup. You win that seven. You win that first round matchup. You go on to play Alabama if they stick in that number two seat. Feels like there's a possibility they could be moved up because again, you've got Kansas and Virginia both as the three four seed. You could see things move up, and LSU could very well move up two spots to where Oregon is now at twenty six. 
and you'd avoid them in terms of the way things are and the way I'm looking at it right now. And if you do that, that's huge because then you're playing an Ohio State team as opposed to dealing with Alabama for a third time, potentially a fourth time. If you're able to pull off this upset this afternoon against Arkansas, which we'll talk about a lot more in just a little bit, that changes your fortune in terms of your postseason a lot. That's something that you can't take for granted. You need to like seize that opportunity and try and make the most of it. Because who's to say that you know you have a chance to improve your lot in life? Because I think if you beat Arkansas, who's currently a currently ranked tenth in the seed list, and they're in that second row of three seats, that second row. That's huge. That changes your lot in life. Because I think you could easily because right now you're at the you're in the final row of the of the set of that that seating bracket because he has a seed list and it's all in like one, two, three, four rows. They're on the fourth row. They could probably move up into that first row slash I'd say fringe six seed. And if they get to that six seed everything's on the table for this team to pull off a Sweet 16 run. Now, I think six is the absolute ceiling. And, I mean, barring them beating Alabama in the finals and winning the SEC tournament for the first time since Jordy Holtberg, Jordy Holtberg and Rudy Macklin, Dwayne Scales, all those guys were still on the team, I think there's a chance where they could be a a six seed at best and they could be a very high six seed maybe taking over a Wisconsin program or even a, even a BYU, depending on how this whole thing goes. These are still a lot of tournament games left to be played. I'll give you some deets about some of the games going on later today, including one involving Rick Patino that you might be surprised to hear about. We'll talk about that more in the hour number two slot at 12. But we're going to go ahead and get into... The twin, the one zero three seven, the game hotline. Next, we're going to talk LSU Arkansas. John Neighbors one zero three seven, the buzz. The one zero three sevens, a little tag team action. Next, right here on one zero three seven, the game one zero three seven, the game You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. trying times. The world famous CD follows the simple words of Matthew McConaughey. You just gotta keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. So let's kick back and enjoy Under the Dome on 103.7 The Game. It'd be a lot cooler if he did. Yeah, he's gonna be a good one. Um, You know, neutral court. You know, all our guys are ready. Their guys are ready. You know, it's gonna be a good one tomorrow. And, you know, bring your popcorn. Exactly. Bring your popcorn. Darius Days after the win over Ole Miss last night. He's talking about that big game going on this afternoon. You'll hear it right here on 103.7. The game, LSU-Arkansas going at it. And to talk about it, we're thrilled to bring our next guest aboard the 103.7. The game hotline. He is the host of Out of Bounds on 103.7. The buzz out in Fayetteville, Arkansas weekdays from 1 to 4. Also, the host of the Locked On Hawks podcast. And, of course, we're talking about John Neighbors. John, how's it going? 
Going great, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Doing good. LSU winning their first some SEC tournament games since 2016, and it's the rubber match. We'll get to that in a little bit. Before we get to the team as a whole, I want to get the perspective from someone who follows this team day in, day out. Because around here, we've been scratching our heads about seeing Moses Moody being named SEC Freshman of the Year when compared to what we've seen with Cam Thomas and his monster year in the purple and gold. What can you say about the Little Rock native and how crucial he's been to this team? Well, there was no doubt a lot of expectations came in with him because he was one of the most highly recruited kids uh, to come out of Arkansas, even though he played his final year in Monte Verde, uh, which is a, a big-time high school where they had uh, Kate Cunningham was one of his teammates last year. So uh, there was a lot of expectation that came in with him because people were expecting him to kind of be this one-and-done type player, which Arkansas doesn't get a lot of. Uh, but he is certainly going to be that one-and-done player this year. And he's kind of been the, the big constant where even though Arkansas has got some, a lot of talent, other guys like Justin Smith or uh, a J.D. Note or Jalen Tate that can score or Devo Davis, like you have other guys, they have other options, but Moses has always been the guy that they've been able to count on game in, game out for going out and getting 15, 20, 25, or even close to 30 points this year. So uh, he's been huge, and I know that uh, a lot of people probably in LSU were scratching their heads because they maybe felt that uh, – he wasn't so deserving of the SEC Freshman of the Year, which is funny because here in Arkansas, people felt like uh, Moses Moody was deserving of Player of the Year, not Herbert Thomas. So I think everybody's just pretty uh, frustrated by the uh, other awards that were given out. But there's no doubt that Moses has been the biggest reason for the success of this team because they know that they can count on him to bring it every single game. No doubt, no doubt. Especially when you look at those end-of-the-year awards, I mean, I think at the end of the day, Eric Musselman, in my mind, we'll talk about him a little bit later, Eric Musselman probably deserved to be SEC Coach of the Year, but of course you're probably going to give it to the team that has performed the best for the most part when you look at these all-SEC teams and more poorly the end-of-the-year awards when you're giving it to Coach of the Year. Oates, I think, deserves it, but at the same time, Musselman had to have been a very, very close second of the voting, right? Oh, without doubt. And that was another thing that Arkansas fans felt like, uh, maybe not because listen, I mean, Nate Oates did a great job, and I think most Razorback fans felt it. But it, it was the same thing where if you just really dive into the specifics about Musselman's situation, this is his second year at Arkansas. He had two NBA players on his team last year that Mason Jones and Isaiah Joe they left, and he had some guys transfer out, and he brought in a whole new crop. You're talking about nine new faces on this team from last year, and the only one. Uh, to really get significant minutes that he was, was even on the team last year has been Desi Sills. Ethan Henderson got a few minutes last night against Missouri, which was huge, but those are the only two guys that are on the team now that were on the team last year. So you're talking about a complete overhaul of the roster, a mixture of transfers and freshmen and uh, guys that uh, were eligible after transferring the previous year, and he's kind of put it all together and made it into the hottest team in the SEC, especially going down the stretch. And to me, that's more impressive. Nothing against Nate Oates, but Nate Oates has got some experienced guys. He's been there for a few more years. He's been able to establish what he's trying to accomplish a little easier because he has been there, or I guess he hasn't been there much longer. But the point is is that it just seemed like with what Musselman had to work with as far as new faces go, people would give him the nod over Nate Oates. But, hey, when you're Alabama and you're winning the SEC regular season in basketball, which seems to never, ever, ever happen, it's hard to deny him that fact, too. 
Talking right now with John Neighbors, host of Out of Bounds on 103.7 The Buzz, right here on 103.7 The Game, a little tag team action of the 103.7s, talking a little LSU-Arkansas, and the Razorbacks have won nine straight since the calendar flipped over to February. What's been the big key for Arkansas, just kind of running roughshod in the SEC since that 81-77 heartbreaker in the SEC Big 12 Challenge to Oklahoma State? You know, we've been trying to figure that out. We've been talking about it, and obviously, you know, you could just use the, the basic cliche answer of, oh, well, they've been playing better. Well, yeah, of course they have been. But uh, as far as specifics go, the only thing that I can really uh, attribute it to is that all the guys finally figured out their role on the team. Because we talked about how they have nine new faces on this team. Well, when you have new faces, sometimes it's hard to figure out what your role is. Like J.D. Note, for instance, he won sixth man of the year for Arkansas. Well, in the beginning slate, especially of conference play, even though he's coming off the bench, he wanted to be a starter so bad. And so he would take a lot of ill-advised shots. He, he, he tried to be way too aggressive. He, he wasn't passing the ball very often. Like, it was just, you could tell he was not understanding how Musselman was wanting his team ran. And it was the same thing with, like, Devo Davis and, and Jalen Williams, two guys that uh, are true freshmen that, you know, start off really raw and kind of came into their own later in the year. And I, I just think that, and then Justin Smith getting back healthy because he was injured and out for a few games in the beginning of conference slate, all those things coming together and the fact that they have a lot of confidence and they've battled through adversity, they've been down in games and they battle back every single time. I just think with the way that this team has their mental toughness down and how they've figured out how to ex- trust each other and what to expect out of each other in the games, that's the biggest thing. I mean, they are just playing about as confident as you possibly can right now. And I'm not saying they're going to win the national championship. I'm not going to say they're going to win the SEC. I don't even know if they'll win today. But there's not a single team out there right now that Arkansas and Arkansas fans don't look at and they say, oh, there's no way we can beat them because they are just feeling so confident right now in what they're doing. What's been the vibe around Fayetteville lately when it comes to this team? Because you got to think it's been a long time since this program has been at the level that it's at right now in the top ten. Legendary Nolan Nolan Richardson, excuse me, was the head coach late eighties, early nineties. The last time this team won a national title, and it feels like this team is poised to be towards the top. I was looking at the Joe Lenardi latest kind of seed list, and this team's currently pegged as a three seed in that kind of second row. Like, what's the vibe right now in Fayetteville? It's almost it, it's a weird vibe because there is excitement and energy like no other. Because Razorback fans love basketball and they're a great fan base and they're very passionate about it. But there's still a lot of them that are like, okay, this is too quick. You know, you went from zero to sixty so quick that it's almost like, okay, where's the big letdown going to happen? You know, are they going to lose in the first round of the tournament? Are they going to uh, completely fall on their face because it almost seems like well, you know it's too good to be true right now. It, they're just playing so well, so it, it's a cautiously optimistic vibe right now. But it, it's getting to the point to where all Razorback fans understand that they haven't been to the Sweet 16 since 1998. And if you look at the rest of the SEC, every single team in the SEC besides Arkansas has been to the Sweet 16 since then. Every team which is so weird for fans because they feel, and a lot of people outside the state of Arkansas even feel, that Arkansas is the second-best basketball program in the conference behind Kentucky. And the fact is is they've gone that long without being a relevant team and making it to the second weekend in the NCAA tournament is just mind-blowing. 
And so now it becomes this year they feel that this is the year they finally get to that second weekend. Uh, Razorback fans, they're, they're nervous about it, but if they can just get to the Sweet 16 right now and this year, I think that that everyone's going to say this was a, a successful season, this was a great year, and can't wait to see the future. But they got to get that Sweet 16 monkey off their back, and I don't think anyone's going to be comfortable until that happens. No doubt, and we're talking about Nolan Richardson, a legend in the Razorbacks program as a head coach back in the 80s and 90s. And it feels like someone who has a chance to be one of those next coaching legends in Arkansas has to be Eric Musselman, a guy who has really kind of risen through the coaching ranks, was at one point an assistant at LSU, along with David Patrick, who's now an assistant coach over at Arkansas. What's it it been like seeing this team go from tied for seventh in the league last year before COVID shut the season down to now second behind another team that's scorching hot in Alabama? Well, that's the key is Eric Musselman. Uh, obviously, the players got to go out and they got to do their thing. But the thing about Eric Musselman and something that Arkansas has not had, and, and this is not a slap against uh, Mike Anderson, because Mike Anderson did a fine job at Arkansas. It wasn't that he was bad. It's just, you know, after eight seasons, people expect a little more. But uh, what what Arkansas hasn't had under Mike Anderson and before that, John Pelfrey, even before that, Stan Heath, and even towards the end of the Nolan Richardson era of, of Razorback basketball, they just didn't have a, a coach that they felt confident in that they're going to out-prepare, out-smart, out-work, out-hustle, out-everything uh, compared to the coach on the other sideline. Like They've just never felt that way. They felt like, oh, well, maybe we have better athletes or we have better players or uh, we have a, uh, just a, a better core group, whatever it is. They may have felt that, but this is – Eric Musselman has brought this confidence – in a, in a way of, and the only thing I can compare it to is maybe like when Bobby Petrino was at Arkansas. Now, I'm not saying they're on the same level morale, morally speaking, but Bobby Petrino had a way of just fine-tuning and uh, being able to draw up plays and just had a coach's mind where he could completely out-coach you, even some of the all-time greats. And that's how people feel about Musselman. They, even if they, they don't have the most talent, they don't have the, the best players, they don't have the best bench, they don't have the best game even, they have a coach that's going to be putting guys in a position where even if you don't win, you're going to be right there in the mix. You're going to be right there, competitive, and and everything. So fans have so much confidence in Eric Musselman right now, not just because of the great job he's doing this year, but just the future because they know how hard he works and how much experience he has in the coaching game. And their hope is that he can just continue to build and possibly get Arkansas back to where – they can win a national championship once again. Obviously, it's the rubber match with LSU. LSU took one at home, then y'all took one inside Bud Walton Arena. I think a lot of it had to do. With, I think the the attendance probably helped a lot in terms of getting that that six that sixth man that we talk about all the time, being able to get that crowd energy in there. Because I think when you have a hot crowd, Bud Walton Arena is a very tough pl- place to play in, right? Oh, without a doubt. And you know, I, maybe this is biased because I did go to the U of A and and all that, but I, I haven't been to every SEC venue in basketball. I've been to quite a few of them. And to me, when it's about when it's as electric or as packed out for a game as possible, I don't think there's a greater atmosphere or greater energy in college basketball sands maybe a few other places. Like even Kentucky, you know, I don't know if you've ever been, but when, when I went to Kentucky, yeah, it was big and it could get loud, but it just seemed like the energy was kind of like just a bunch of old people sitting on their hands waiting to be impressed. Like there was just no energy to it. But yeah, the, the Bud Walton energy and the way that 
they have been able to will some wins in that arena in a lot of different cases when they shouldn't have uh, has, has been huge. And I think that was big this past uh, game that they played in Budwald Arena because even though there's only 4,000 people there, it's still built with the energy that can still be brought. So it's a huge factor, no doubt. Razorbacks currently four-point favorites. They open up as a three-point favorite on a lot of lines. Now it's kind of hovering between four and three and a half, depending on which kind of Vegas line you're looking at. Vegas Insiders has them at four for what it's worth. But when you look at that and you look at what the guys in the desert are kind of leaning towards in this contest, what's the biggest key for LSU or for Arkansas, excuse me, to win this contest and make it to the finals? Uh, the biggest key is honestly just going to be able to do without Jalen Williams because Jalen Williams isn't playing in this conference tournament uh, due to COVID issues. Uh, he might be ready by the championship game if they make it there tomorrow, but he's not going to be in there. And so the only big that you have if you're Arkansas is going to be Justin Smith. He's been phenomenal. But you have Justin Smith, you have Connor Vanover, who's 7'3", which is is great, but he's also very thin. He's not very strong underneath. You have him. Uh, you can throw in a guy like Ethan Henderson that I mentioned that can that can play a little bit. But that's it. So the key for Arkansas is that they're going to have to make sure that their guards hit their shots, that Moses gets going, that J.D. Note gets going, that uh, you know a guy like Devo Davis gets going, and even Justin Smith can do it in his own right. But uh, I just feel like LSU is a very big physical team, and if Arkansas can just get enough out of their guards where they don't have to worry about getting their points inside it'll benefit more for Arkansas. And the one thing I've noticed about LSU, and I'm not sure you guys have talked about it or anything, but I felt like the last time Arkansas played, LSU's shot selection at times was so poor. And I I don't know if that was just maybe that one game, because I'll admit I haven't watched them a whole bunch this year. But I'll also be curious to see how LSU comes out in this one, because the first time LSU dominated Arkansas, and then it seems like LSU just can't really figure out what type of team they are right now. So it'll be interesting to see what they do too, and if uh, their shot selection, their decision making, and you know their their playmaking in this game will be better than what we saw the last time they met. One more for you, but let's flip on over to the football side of things because obviously it feels like this Arkansas Razorbacks team, after kind of getting the stench of the Brett Bielema era and what happened with their pre- with the other head coach. It's just absolutely amazing to see how much things have changed since the Chad Morris stuff and Brett Bielema, where Sam Pittman's been able to at least somewhat turn this thing around, 3-7 and seven record in the SEC. It's not great, but it still looks like there is some progress being made. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's the thing is that fans wanted. It's just progress. Because when you go three years with one SEC win in football and back-to-back two and ten years, there's not really much room to go down, and it's only going up. And so the, the 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 fear of you know Arkansas football being irrelevant was there. Like it, it, People felt at the end of the Chad Morris era especially, if they didn't get the coaching hire right, they said, man, you know, Arkansas could, if they don't get this hire right, they could fall into the irrelevancy of a, of a Kansas football or a Rutgers football or, you know, one of these teams that is constantly terrible and no one cares about. But Sam Pittman, and, and he was a guy that I wanted two weeks before they hired him. I even tweeted that out. Uh, I just felt like he he wants the Arkansas job. This is the only head coaching job that he has really desperately, passionately wanted. He loves the Razorbacks, and everybody loves him. Coaches love coaching with him. Players love playing for him. And he knows the SEC, and he knows football. He knows what it takes to win in this conference. And so everyone is on board Sam Pittman and, and on board his training. 
And all it's going to take, though, is he, he's got to keep progressing. They won three games last year. Should have won four if the whole thing in Auburn didn't happen. And they were close against LSU and Missouri to winning those games. So, you know, we're talking about six wins last year, six and four if everything fell right. But uh, they feel really confident in, in Sam Pittman. And as long as he can continue to recruit at a high level and continue to get coaches in here that are really good and uh, get some experience in there and build the winning culture back, uh, there's no telling what he'll be able to do, but uh, we got to see the type of progress that they make from year one to year two. John, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the game this afternoon. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Anytime. You as well. All right. That was John Neighbors. You can follow him on Twitter at BuzzJohnNeighbors. Love getting the perspective from enemy lines on a game day. Feels like old times because he used to do this a lot more back in the day, back when we had the producers with Blaine and Cody. And, you know, I'm glad I'm at the head of the table and running the island that is under the dome with CD. And we'll come back, we'll kind of wrap up the hour and touch on one thing about the NCAA and maybe they're tinkering with overtime and doing it the wrong way. We'll talk about that next right here on 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules, and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD, who will break it all down for us. Ran it a little long with that interview, a little longer than I thought we did, but you know what? We're out of time for hour number one, hour number two, coming up in just a little bit, and we'll get to what the NCAA is doing to tinker with overtime. Give you an idea of what they're doing first. The proposal is they'll be required to run a two-point conversion play after a touchdown when a game reaches a second overtime period. If the game reaches a third overtime, teams will run alternating two-point plays and starting another drive at the opponent's 25-yard line. The rules proposal is being made to limit the number of plays from scrimmage and bring the game to a conclusion. That's the basics of it. I'll give you the full details, and maybe just maybe I'll give you my thoughts on what I would do if I were to be the one running college football, because I've got a different idea that I think could work. We'll talk about that next right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 1037 The Game Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live at 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. take a walk on the wild side get your saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous cd do you know who i am i don't know how to put this but i'm kind of a big deal on 103.7 the game hour two of two sweet hours right here on acadiana sports station now underway hopefully after great one so far on this Louisiana Saturday afternoon, I saw a lot of people out on the roads. It's a beautiful, Jordy would say, Chamber of Commerce Day. I'm just going to say it's a wonderful kind of Louisiana Saturday morning. And, of course, we're coming to you live from the first South Farm Credit Studios. Here. 
worldwide. And you can hear it worldwide through the free mobile app, 1037thegame.com, also through your favorite podcast gimmicks. But, of course, we appreciate it if you're out there on the old school FM dial. This is where the power lies. And it's feeling pretty darn good right now on a Louisiana Saturday afternoon. This is where the power lies. When last year I spent more money on spilt liquor in bars from one side of this world to the other than you made. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. And we're bringing on Ross Jackson at around 1230 talk about the New Orleans Saints, Lumisnomics, and everything in between. But if you want to talk about it, 337-706-0111, the 1037 game online, wide open, my friends. You just trust me, we got a lot to get to. we got a lot to talk about. Get down to what's causing all this on a Louisiana Saturday afternoon. I'll get to some NCAA basketball in just a little bit. But I want to talk about the NCAA, and they're continuing to tinker and maneuver and try and fix the overtime while also making it worse. So I mentioned at the end of the hour the basics of this. So the proposal they have in place that's going to be potentially approved by the NCAA Playing Rules Oversight Panel. They're supposed to discuss this on April 22nd. And again, the rationale for making the recommendation is to lessen the number of plays it takes for a winning team to be determined. Currently, teams are required to run two-point conversion plays after a touchdown when a game reaches a third overtime. The alternating two-point conversions would start after the game reaches a fifth overtime, according to this proposal. And there's also some other stuff as well, but how in one proposal where it's saying, you know, in the current that's the current structure right now. You gotta have two point conversion plays after it reaches a third overtime, the alternated two points would start after a fifth overtime. Now they want to change it again to say that teams will be required to run a two-point conversion play after a touchdown when the game reaches second overtime. If the game reaches a third overtime, teams will run alternating two-point plays. Basically, it's like a shootout instead of starting another drive at the opponent's 25-yard line. And it's to be bring the game to a quicker conclusion and limit the number of plays from scrimmage. Makes a lot of sense. It's a great idea in theory, but it's not so great in practice. And I'll tell you why. There's a better way to do this. And you'd be surprised how simple it could be. My idea is I'd start the ball and I'd start the line of scrimmage, 35-yard line. No first downs, four downs. You've got to score a touchdown within those four downs or a field goal. And if you score a touchdown, you got to go for two. Why do I say four downs? Why not? 35 yards? I think that's a perfectly good setup to basically say, hey, if you don't score a touchdown or a field goal here, you're screwed. The other team can do what they want to do, but they have to kind of get to that fourth down. That's the that's the only requirement. Get to that fourth down, and then you make the decision whether or not you're going to kick or go for it. I think that's the way you do it. And that way, I think that it does a lot of things that you want to do. Limit the number of plays from scrimmage. Because more likely than not, you'll have four plays to get it in. And that's it. Eight plays on both sides 
of the field overtime. That's a really good overtime period. That's really good alternating. And I think that would be the ideal situation. Now, And, of course, two-point conversions. So that's a fifth play from scrimmage, potentially. Then we get to what happens when you reach that, that third overtime? What happens when you reach triple overtime? Honestly, I like the two-point conversion shootout. Here is my proposal to it. Because I've mentioned how much I'm not a huge fan of, of field goal kickers. But I think they're crucial. So I've got an idea. And basically, we're going to go ahead and have shootout with field goals. And you have it all set up in different lengths. Or nah, keep it one generic length. You have it about you have it at 35-yard line. You have a 35, 35-yard field goal. That's where you're going to set, set up shop. No defense interference. It's just kicking the field goal, no pressure. It's a shootout, best of five. That's how you do this. That's how you determine the winner here. Hell, if you really wanted to, you make it the second overtime. That way you just minimize everything. You have first overtime period. It's a four downs from the 35-yard line. And if you don't score a touchdown, move on. And the other team gets a chance to score. And if they score, they win. And if it's still tied, best of five field, field goal kicking from the 35. That's how we set this up. That's how we determine the, this whole future of NCAA college football rules. I think it's absolutely the way this should go. Because I like the idea of what they're doing. I like the idea. The premise is good, but it just doesn't work as well in my mind as opposed to that. Now, mind you, obviously we've got the NFL's setup, which is perfect. And mind you, I think the NCAA is always going to follow high school football overtime rules, at least somewhat. I would love to see this rule be experimented with in 2021 just to see how it's going to work because the idea you have right now is purely a theoretical one and it just doesn't sound right to me to have the state of college football be determined by alternating two-point conversions after the third overtime and basically forcing you to still be in that 25 yard line four downs to get a first down. I say four downs to get a touchdown, starting at the 35. It's, and yes, I'm kind of parroting a little bit from NFL Blitz back in the day, because you remember, it wasn't a first and 10, it was like a first and 30 to get a touchdown. And honestly, I think that's the setup. That's where I just sit here, and I'm like, okay, this is the guy that I'd want to have in the not-too-distant future run things. I would love to see them run this kind of setup in 2021. But honestly, I'm still waiting. I am still waiting for the NCAA football game. But apparently, we're not going to have to wait too long because I saw this earlier this week, and I hope this is true. This comes from Matt Brown. I believe he used to do sports on Earth. I can't, I couldn't confirm it, but I'm almost certain. this Matt Brown, now he does some, uh, a newsletter called Extra Points, and he mentioned, like, 
that's what I'm disappointed about. I subscribed to his newsletter. I didn't get it. And he straight up says, like, all right. And there was an NCAA, he said, the EA Sports college football game could be coming back. And according to internal documentation from CLC that he obtained the open records request, the game could be coming out in July of 2023. So presumably we'll get a brand new NCAA football game middle of the PlayStation 5 life cycle. So you have plenty of time to go get you one or Xbox Series or the Xbox, I can't remember what they're called anymore. It's like because you got the Series X. Thank you, thank you, my intern Greg, giving the information because it's I'm much more of a straight up like PlayStation guy. This is easier to keep track of because you have PlayStation One, PS Two, PS Three, PS Four, PS Five. Simple, effective. Meanwhile, Xbox, the original, the, the old brick Xbox that I used to have, Xbox Three Sixty. Then it's Xbox One, then it's Xbox One X, Xbox One S, Xbox Series X, Xbox Series S. Why can't we go to just numerical things just to make it easier? Xbox, Xbox Two, Xbox Three, something like that. I mean, Nintendo never did that, but you were able to kind of keep track of the chronological. It's pretty easy to keep tabs on. The Xbox, it's a little bit more complicated than that. And why... Do they do that? I don't know. But I can't wait for the eventual return of the NCAA football game. Now, hopefully we can get a good game. It's not, you know, microtransaction laden and all this other stuff that I'm not a fan of at all. But I'm looking forward to it. You know what else I'm also looking forward to? March Madness. And if you haven't already, make sure you get in on the action today. Go to 1037thegame.com and Sign up today to reserve your spot. More importantly, reserve your spot for March bracket season. Because we've got the 10,000 bracket challenge, March, March bracket challenge presented by good friends over at Twin Peaks. We got a lot of people in, but you still got plenty of time to get in. 21 hours away from kind of things wrapping up and selection Sunday. So get in on your picks today. Or better yet, Reserve your spot today. That way you can have a chance to win $10,000. Yes, you heard me right. $10,000 if you have that perfect bracket. If somehow, someway you're able to pull off the one in a million type shot, you get $10,000. Don't worry. If you have the best bracket in all the land, you'll win something. Meet us. We won't win a darn thing. But hey, we're going to have fun. Definitely a lot of bragging rights up for grabs. You can prove you're better than the experts it with me lewis obviously rp3 ben love host of bumper to bumper sports and make sure you get in on the action and make your picks before everything kind of gets started up because i can't wait because after last year's march madness kind of got canceled and we were like wondering what we we're going to do that we did the whole march the, the sports movie bracket challenge and then we did the high school teams. It was great, but nowhere near the same as having the NCAA tournament and making your picks to click and watching anxiously as your brackets get busted one by one and get snapped out of exit and your perfect brackets get snapped out like Thanos did at the end of Infinity War. 
But yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to today. And that's what I'm looking forward to over the next week. Because hell, I mean, next Saturday, as of right now, I haven't. I, I can almost say with certainty, I won't be on the air next week. I'll be off. LSU, or excuse me, the NCAA tournament. We're going to be airing some of that stuff right here on Acadiana Sports Station. I won't be on the air next Saturday, unless I think else. If LSU somehow plays a like middle of the day game, then yeah, we want to change some plans. But as of right now, it looks like I might be off next week. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But you know what else I'm looking forward to? Talking with Ross Jackson about the New Orleans Saints. So I'll get some of my thoughts on the Saints. Because, man, oh, man, it's starting to look like a laundry list of all the releases that they've made over the last few weeks. <laughs> I just got to laugh at some of that. It almost feels like a Sarah McLaughlin in memoria montage is just about to pop up after, you know, free agency starts up. We'll talk about that next. Maybe we'll get some NCAA basketball talk as well right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. And they spell disaster for you as sacrifice. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk on Acadiana's Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And the Saints have pretty much been, you know, that team that's just continuing to tinker with the Loomis Stomachs. We'll talk about that a lot more with Ross Jackson in our next segment. But it's crazy just to think how many people are all gone from the team. And it's I, I was sitting here just thinking about all the guys that they just have let go. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking about like how many players the the, the state of this franchise has virtually changed overnight. And the way things... I mean, it all started last week when they got rid of Thomas Morstead. The Saints' cuts the last few weeks have hurt. A lot of the transactions they've had over the last few weeks, it's been wild. One of the more recent ones, Janoris Jenkins, cut. Quan Alexander, after one year, he's gone. San Francisco... 49ers, former wide receiver, Manuel Sanders, he gone. He's cut. Thomas Morstead. Josh Hill, gone. Jared Cook, gone. He played a Sarah McLaughlin song and almost had this an in memoria montage of some of their greatest plays. Nick Easton, cut. Jared Cook, justifiably so, cut. You also had Malcolm Brown, reportedly cut. Hasn't been officially Listen on the transaction wire I'm seeing right now. But yeah, all before free agency to stay under that kind of 10.5 number. And staying under that under that cap dump right now, they're still 10.5 over. But boy, they've got a lot of work to do to be able to get under the cap in that situation. But overall, I think they're doing the right things. They're, they're making the tough decisions. They're getting rid of a lot of guys, and in fact, well, I'll talk. I'll ask Ross this in the next segment, but I feel like we're gonna see the Saints let go of two other guys, and these are the two that I'm probably just gonna throw out off the top. They've got to let go of 
Latavius Murray. I like Latavius, but here's the thing. Running backs are a dime a dozen. You've got three compensatory picks for the first time since prohibition was a thing with the Saints. You pretty much have never been able to get a lot of luck from that. First time since probably the Clinton administration, you've had some damn picks in the compensatories. And you've got a couple in the top 100. You have like three top 100 picks this year. That's massive. Now you got to try and make the right moves. I think Latavius Murray is that last one that could probably free you up a lot of money. I'm going to go ahead and pull it over the cap right now and look at it because I feel like I just have a feeling Murray might be the final piece to the puzzle. Now, obviously, you're going to have to free up even more cap space and get out of more cap hell to be able to really pull this off. He is Marshawn Lattimore. You've restructured his Ramchick. Marcus Williams, you franchise-tagged him, so that stuff's kind of taken care of for the most part. Cam Jordan, you restructured him. Demario Davis. Latavius Murray is the one where it's like, it won't free up everything, but it's another step in the right direction. I feel like it's necessary. It's a necessary evil. And I feel like the last resort is probably Alvin Kamara, and it's like restructuring his contract to make it work like we're seeing with what's going on with guys like a Cam Jordan or DeMario Davis. And even MT13, Michael Thomas restructured his contract yesterday. And now you're at about $10 million, according to Spotrack. Over the cap.com has them as 17. Just depends on what kind of preference you have in terms of the website that you look at. Overall, I think they're doing a great job putting this roster together and making do and making this whole thing work. Yes, you're going to have to eat probably a lot of a lot of dead money and whatnot, but you know you're making the right moves. You're getting rid of guys that you know Nick Easton. Let's be honest, concussions hurt him a lot. That's a big reason why he's no longer with the team. Jack Rabbit, Jack Rabbit might be the one that sucks the most because I think he had so much more to offer. Thomas Moore said. He just had a very underwhelming year last year. Jared Cook was the biggest reason why you lost the NFC Divisional game because that fumble, the team, the Saints were building momentum and trying to like get a comeback. It was a hope spot, and the Cook and Jared Cook couldn't hold on to the football. Josh Hill, a lot of concussions, and also just outside of like a blocking running back, blocking tight end. Excuse me, he's okay. Very much, you know, necessary evil type of cut. Because now it's Adam Troutman's time to shine. The second year player, absolutely. He he had his moments, and it's just the fact that he's a cheap guy, kind of kind of a, almost a freebie. You restructure guys like JT Gray, all these other cats. It's huge to see how much things have changed with this franchise. But you've still got a ways to go before you get to that kind of milestone and that mile marker to make a lot of moves. And obviously, you're going to have to let go of a lot, probably a handful more guys. I mean, he used to say that everybody is going to go ahead and agree to a, you know, restructuring of a contract to make, to make, to free up a little bit more money because you know that's something you're going to have to deal with in 2021. And a lot of it, I think the Drew Brees deal hurts that a lot. But now we go to the 103.7 The Game Hotline. Maybe we got somebody to talk some Saints. Hello, you're on Out of the Dome. 
just, uh, yeah, good morning. Um, am I on? Yeah, you're yeah. on. You're on. How you doing? Okay, great, man. Appreciate the talk, the information this morning. I like your show. Appreciate my it. My question is, man, um, from my count, it looks like we've, we've lost or released eight starters so far. Okay? Eight starters. Yep. Uh, from my count, um, I'm not going to go through all the names. It may, it may be seven or eight. but um, And I think, if I'm not mistaken, we're still like 24 over, 24 million, right? I was just saying it was about 10 million. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up right now. Oh, so let me pull it up. Spotrack.com has it currently listed as you are currently $10 million over the salary cap right now with top 51 considering. With all of them, right. it's $12 million over the cap. That's because of the fact that you yesterday you restructured a deal with Michael Thomas, and then also you have since cut Malcolm Brown. Now, Malcolm Brown could be now, – now, the big thing is – we're seeing them be released and cut. Some of these could very well be re-strategized somehow, some way into a post-June 1 cut, which could save you even more money down the road. That's kind of the real bugaboo about all this stuff. And obviously we're going to see more restructuring. I think Latavius Murray might be one of the next guys to go. Do you kind of see, do you kind of see that as well? Because I've, I've been thinking about that the last couple weeks, that Murray might be the next one to go. Well, I, I don't know. Uh, Murray, uh, I hear you. And same type of track record with undrafted free agents at running back. And you're right. Uh, their position value has dropped over the past few years. But Murray um, did a great job for us filling in when uh, when he had to. My thing is, I hear you know people say, well, they can backfill these positions through free agency or the draft. To me, it's, it's, it's not one or the other. It's only the draft. Because if you sign for agency, for free agents, that – that counts towards your cap, right? So no, yeah, it, it counts. You, it counts towards the cap. So, yeah. So why would you release a player like Malcolm Brown or, or somebody you know uh, knows your scheme? You know, has been been in the lineup a lot to go and sign somebody. You know, uh, yeah, I understand your point. You could sign him back cheaper if nobody else picks him up. But I mean, look, this morning uh, Josh Hills already signed uh, the Lions. Yep, uh, signed him to a contract this morning. So. I think that's going to be a trend that continues. A lot of these players are going to sign with other teams before we have an opportunity to sign them back at a lower cost. But, oh no! Yeah, man, this is this is rare territory. I, I don't. I've been a fan since you know the '80s, and I I don't remember us losing this many star athletes. And you know, it's concerning, but we just need to hit on the draft, basically. And uh, I appreciate your show, and um, I'll hang up and listen. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, man. Don't be a stranger. Call in whenever, man. Three three seven seven zero six zero one one one. I'll get. I'll, but here's the thing, you know, we're talking about getting rid of all these star players. It's a necessary evil. And, yeah, Josh Hill signed with the Detroit Lions. He's going to go ahead and bite kneecaps with him. His former tight ends coach, Dan Campbell, now he's coaching over there. There's a little bit of a relationship there. So it's it, that one makes some sense. But here's the thing. Outside of, I'd say, probably Janoris Jenkins and Emmanuel Sanders, a lot of these guys don't have much left really in my mind. I think Jack Rabbit's probably got a, like one or two more like good years left in him. Emmanuel Sanders probably has three or four more. Jared Cook has really underwhelmed since leaving Green Bay. Yeah, they had a couple good years with Oakland, but with the Saints hasn't been like the guy you want to have. He hasn't been a notorious flop like a Kobe Fleener and I know I just gave everybody PTSD just saying that name. But 
I think you're getting rid of you're getting rid of a lot of necessary evil. It sucks, yes, to get rid of all these stars. But you know, you've been able to hit on the draft in the past. You've been able and you know, you're talking about free agency. I think the biggest thing in terms of free agency is you're gonna go ahead and free up enough cap space to do that. Now, it's also imperative that you free up you you get into the green if you will, in terms of being positive cap space. You're going to have to restructure damn near everybody's contract to make sure this works. And then you can... The big key is to get Jameis Winston to a one- or two-year deal. That's the biggest key. And make sure that thing is backloaded like hell. Is then we can start talking about the future. At quarterback, I think Jameis Winston... At least for two years, because I think after one year, you really know what you have. Because I am still not sold to this day about what that team bring, what he brings to the table. And if he sucks one year, that second year, it's like you know what, we're gonna go ahead and eat this year, and we'll move on. Right before we take a quick time out here on under the dome with CD, let me give you a quick update about what's going on in the SEC tournament. Because right after game one finishes up. LSU basketball will be right here on 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Tennessee Volunteers up 26-21 with eight minutes left in the first half. Early on, it was like 11-4, but Alabama has started to roar back here, but Tennessee currently has possession. We'll give you maybe a little update later on. Is if it's Tennessee beating upsetting Alabama and somehow LSU can pull the upset against Arkansas, that's massive. We're going to talk with Ross Jackson next, right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game at 103.7thegame.com. Sports Talk Radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Now back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana's Sports Station, 1037 The Game. And when you hear that music on this show, you know there's only one person that's behind the 1037 The Game hotline. And once I pot it up, you'll know exactly who it is. It's Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles. Ross, what's happening, brother? Hey, brother. Good to talk to you, man. Thanks so much for having me on. Hope you've been doing well. I've been doing really good, man. You know, a lot better than maybe some of the Saints cuts over the last few weeks, man. It's been it's been wild to see a lot of these starters get let go. Obviously, Josh Hill, Nick Easton, Jared Cook, Thomas Morissette, Emmanuel Sanders, and Jack Rabbit, also Malcolm Brown, one of the more recent ones. This is a wild time right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, none of the cuts that we've seen so far are too entirely shocking, or none of the moves, really, that we've seen made so far are entirely too shocking. They all sort of make sense. There were a couple that surprised me. I thought maybe they would try to find a way to make Jackrabbit's contract work with you know, restructure or maybe even, you know, a faux extension, right, adding on fake years and things like that, and then probably Josh Hill's cut was a little surprising to me too because i didn't expect two point two and a half million dollars to be worth having to replace the the tight end but obviously the team has a pretty clear path and a pretty clear vision about what it is that they're doing as they continue to also add players and franchise tag players while making these cuts as well 
Speaking of that franchise tag, how surprised were you to see Marcus Williams get the franchise tag? Because it's like I, I, we heard Diana Rossini that morning say, hey, you know, the Saints aren't going to use the franchise tag. And then hours later, you know, the Saints were like, I bet we're going to go ahead and, and franchise tag Marcus Williams. Yeah, I kind of wonder if they just accepted Diana Rossini's tweet as a challenge. And we're like, yeah, watch us, you know? <laughs> no, but I, it, it was surprising. It was very surprising. I didn't expect them to use the franchise tag either. Um, it didn't seem like this would be the year that they would do it. Remember, the Saints haven't even used, you know, tried to use the fan franchise tag, tag to our knowledge since Jimmy Graham. And we know how that went when they tried to use the tag for Jimmy Graham. It led to litigation and all these other things. But you'll notice there's no ambiguity at all about what position Marcus Williams plays, right? There's no conversation about it. You get the safety tag, and that's what it is. I think that it helps actually that the salary cap dropped this season in this, you know, in this arena because the franchise tag two point ten point six million dollars. That's not really the end of the world for you at all for an elite safety if you can't come to a long term deal. Didn't didn't shock me that them using it took until the very very last moment, essentially or near the very last moment for them to do it. They were right up against the deadline when they decided to do it because it, it seemed that he was a priority to try to stick around. They give him that, and then now they have time to work out a long-term deal with him, even through free agency opening up where other teams would usually be able to contact him if he were to have gone as an unrestricted free agent. Talk right now, Rawls-Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast and Canal Street Chronicles, and obviously we see just a lot of these names just surprise. I think the one that surprised me the most over the last, let's say, 72 hours or so has to be the Emmanuel Sanders release. I think that one absolutely was like, whoa, did not see that coming. Because it felt like, you know, he's probably going to be the guy that could very well kind of turn this entire team into it. Like, he looked like he was starting to catch on late in the season. You can about imagine with a full off season with Jameis Winston that he could be that wide receiver too. Now you're kind of like wondering who is going to be that next guy to fill in where Emmanuel Sanders was. Yeah, I'm kind of curious to see if the, they have an idea about what they want that Z position, that Z receiver position to now be with the assumption that Jameis Winston is going to be the starting quarterback in 2021, which is still a wait and we'll see type of a situation. But that seems to be something that maybe that position, that role undergoes a change and they're looking for, and maybe they look for a younger option that is more of a deep threat, that is more of a speed receiver. That is, you know, a little bit has a different stature than maybe a speedy guy you already have on the roster, like Deontay Harris. But you have somebody that's more of a traditional Z size, traditional Z role, traditional Z speed uh, over on that opposite side. Certainly, Emmanuel Sanders has speed and can be a threat downfield. But you know, was also you know on the other side of thirty, and and that's really the the thing that if you look at the the most major cuts that the Saints made, were the guys that were coming off of injury, had injury history or were guys that were over 30 years old that they've decided to move on from and so you know it, it'll be interesting to see if maybe the reason that they moved on with Emmanuel Sanders is because they're re-envisioning what that role is with a potential new quarterback under center controlling that offense who do you think is the next one to get cut Ross because I feel like there's just a lot of people out there that I feel like could be the next guy yeah, so if they were to move on and cut some and, and continue to make some decisions like that and continue to cut players, uh, Latavius Murray is a name that I would yes. watch. He would probably be one that is a little bit more surprising, and certainly you'd rather see him stay than go. But if you look at, there were four players in a in a report from Albert Breer that were mentioned as potential as players that were a part of trade talks, and four of them were Saints. It was Quan Alexander, 
who was cut. You saw Emmanuel Sanders and then also Malcolm Brown. Both of them have been cut. So the only one of those four names that hasn't been moved on from at this time is Latavius Murray. Now, Latavius Murray saves you about $2.5 million if you cut him outright, $3.3 million if you wait until you can designate him as a post-June 1, which you can't do until the new league year. And you can only do that with two players. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how the Saints do that. We know one of those players would be Drew Brees if he announces his retirement. And then is the other player going to be a guy like Latavius Murray, or could they just move on from Latavius Murray, perhaps they save Emmanuel Sanders' transaction to process that at that time? But Murray would be one uh, that I would watch, and then Patrick Robinson would be another that I would keep an eye out on because the Saints could also move on from him. He's over 30 years old. I believe he's at 34 now, and he is somebody that brings you versatility, can play in the slot and can play outside. They, of course, just moved on from Janoris Jenkins, so maybe they want to keep him around. But if they want to save a little bit more money, he saves them a little bit over $2.5 million as well, or right around 2 and a half, if I remember correctly. And so they could make the decision to move on from him. Yeah, I think P-Rob's that other guy that's on my list. But I think Latavius Murray is probably the one. I'd say, yeah, it's time for him to go. But, we, I mean, we saw Michael Thomas restructure his contract, Cam Jordan to Mario Davis. Could we see Alvin Kamara restructure his contract somehow, some way? It, uh, it's possible if the Saints get desperate enough, but I don't think that they have to rush into that. I mean, a restructure with him doesn't really save a ton of money. I think the estimated restructure value on his contract is around $800,000. But they do still have Teron Armstead that they can either restructure or extend and then end up saving money uh, with him moving forward. Uh, that would be the other restructure candidate that I would I would certainly keep an eye out on. No doubt, no doubt. Ross Jackson, Locked on Saints podcast at Canal Street Chronicles. You brought up Drew Brees and his retirement. Why in the world have we not heard anything yet? Like, it's like we just, it feels like we're just waiting for the inevitable. But at the same time, we see videos of him out there with a new hairdo and enjoying life and pushing and pushing <laughs> a sled. It's like, what the hell is going on with Drew Brees? That's a, that's an NBC television new hairdo right there. That's what that is. Um, I think that when you look at Drew Brees here, there are a couple of different things that uh, people are kind of assuming uh, about his his announcement, whether he's retiring or whether he's coming back, whenever that announcement were to be made. There's some timing things to it. The, the fact that it's taking so long seems to indicate that the decision is to retire, and that seems to be based, and that assumption seems to be based on, one, uh, the way that the Saints are making their moves here, it, it seems to indicate that they're going to have a new person under center. You look at the types of wide receivers they're visiting with. You look at the uh, the intent of hanging on to the offensive line and continue to extend players like Andrews Pete, uh, continuing to, to hold on to the defense as much as possible. So a changing at the guard seems like something that they're bracing for in terms of keeping the core together, knowing that you may see something change in terms of the, the leadership over on the offensive side. The, the other thing is that uh, it's a tough, tough decision to announce out loud, right? And yeah. so I think that for Drew, that was always going to take time. And announcing that you're going to retire and that this is the end of your career, taking longer than it took for him last year to announce that he was coming back isn't really a surprise to me. But the fact that it's going this far seems to indicate that he's going to be a post-June 1 transaction. Uh, Kat Terrell actually tweeted about this earlier today as well, but the team's if Drew Brees were to retire, then they process that. They have an option to either process that retirement immediately or they can wait to file the work, the paperwork as a post-June 1 designated as a post-June 1 transaction. And what that basically does is that it splits the dead money cap hit over the next couple of years. So the Saints are already taking on $11.5 million in dead cap this year, no matter what, right? But if they process his re- retirement 
immediately they take on next year's $11.5 million cap hit into the season. It accelerates. So they would want to post it as a post-June 1. That way it splits in half over that time, and then no change happens with the salary cap for the Saints this season because he already took his pay cut. You might save the minimum veteran minimum salary that he was set to make after his pay cut, but for the most part, you can't do that until the new league year begins. So for accounting purposes, it would make it the, the, the idea of him waiting until the new league year begins makes sense. Is there any chance we'd be able to get Drew Brees to sign like to have like a Bobby Bonilla deal like for twenty years that we would just <laughs> can kinda of like make sure this entire thing works? We don't have to keep doing the Lumistomics dance until like twenty twenty three? Because it feels like that's where we're at right now. I think that if it were a more drastic uh, dead cap number situation, um, then perhaps uh, certainly you could sign into like a five-year void deal and then have him retire on it or that. But the fact of the matter is that once he retires, all of that money accelerates to the, the retirement processing, being processed anyway. And so you would have to look at it and sort of say and sort of weigh the two options. Because of that, you're already on the hook for the amount of money, for, for a certain amount of money this year anyway, which is at $11.5 million. And there's a way to, to, there's a way to process the transaction so that you don't touch that number. That number stays the exact same. You don't necessarily have to do it. If it were a more drastic dead cap situation, and then we were, we're talking about where the Saints were a few years ago, right? 2016 or so, then maybe that you, you would look to more drastic measures to be able to sort of spread that out over time. All right, let's have some fun before we get out of here because you've talked about this a lot on Twitter. So mm-hmm. let's do which happens first. Which happens first? <laughs> All right. If, if, I, like, I think you immediately know where this is going. So which happens first, Ross? Does Drew Brees retire or Anthony Davis thinks New Orleans? Listen, listen. Drew Brees will retire, come back, and then retire again <laughs> before Anthony Davis thinks about thanking New Orleans. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? I'm going to tweet about it every time. I'm going to tweet about it every time that Drew Brees, Drew Brees will retire, thank New Orleans, return, thank New Orleans, and then retire again and thank New Orleans, possibly retiring from an entirely different team before Anthony Davis uh, was to thank New Orleans. All right, which happens first? LSU basketball wins a national championship or Anthony Davis thanks New Orleans? Oh, oh. I would say... Oh, who am I kidding? It's it's LSU winning a national championship. <laughs> who am I kidding? Who am I kidding? I was trying to I was trying to be nice, but no. LSU LSU's got some. He's LSU has more pieces than uh, Anthony Davis has memory of New Orleans at this point. Which is more likely to happen first? Taysom Hill wins a Super Bowl as a starting quarterback for the Saints, or Anthony Davis thinks New Orleans. What happens if it's neither? <laughs> well, it's just a push. Uh, yeah, I guess it's just a push. I guess it's just a push because I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Taysom will have that opportunity. The New Orleans Pelicans. We don't know yet. Right, more likely to happen. The New Orleans Pelicans beat the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, or Anthony Davis thinks New Orleans. Uh, Pelicans over Lakers <laughs> in five. <laughs> Well, I'm about to say, what year is that going to happen, Ross? Because it's sure not going to happen this year. <laughs> that's a couple years down the road. That's after those. Uh, that's after those post Anthony Davis uh, um, contract uh, first round picks kick in. That's when that happens. I'd love it, Ross. But yeah, man, I, just thinking about all like when I saw that the other day, I'm like, I was like, 
and I started thinking, oh, hey, I need to try and get Ross on because we got free agency coming up and the draft's right around the corner. And speaking of that, Ross, I'm going to go ahead and, and put you on the spot right now. First round pick for the Saints. Where do you think they go? So it, it obviously it depends upon what happens in free agency, right? Yep. But if, if the draft were to happen right now today, I would say that you probably have to address the cornerback or linebacker position. Yep. So I would go with one of those two. You can go with, you know, Greg Newsom, of course, is picking up steam right now out of Northwestern, and there's a couple of other guys you could even move up if J.C. Horn were to, you know, be the third corner off the board instead of the first, as some of us expect he'll be. Um, and then over in the linebacker position, a couple names to remember would be Zayvon Collins out of Tulsa and then Nick Bolton out of Missouri. Uh, and whichever position you don't go with in round one, you could go with in round two or three and still get a really viable uh, viable position there. But I think you have to address one of those two positions if the draft were to start today as quickly as possible. You bring up J.C. Horn. I think i got to ask <clears> this <throat> question before we get out of here. If J.C. Horn is drafted by the Saints, does he – pull out a cell phone from underneath the goalpost after his first pick six. I I would be disappointed if he did not. <laughs> I would be That would be the greatest thing. I'm tricky. not going to lie. That's that was tricky for a defensive player. Just I mean you know he'd probably just put it underneath there every single home game, right? He would have to do it every single home like every single home game. <laughs> like I mean just keep it under there all season long. Why not? <laughs> Yeah, I guess so, right? <laughs> All right, Ross. Appreciate you coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the weekend. Always, man. Appreciate you. Have a good one. All right. I'm going to take a quick time. I've got one final take and also one more update about the Volunteers-Alabama game. 38-31. Tennessee's up with 54 seconds left in the half. Definitely competitive ball game. Back after this. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be one he'd like to take back six months down the road? Let's listen in and find out. The final take of the show today kind of relates to what we were just talking about with the New Orleans Saints, and I think their future has to be in Jameis Winston. Yes, it's going to require a good bit of money and a good bit of free cap space to keep him aboard. And I keep saying it. A two-year deal, I think, is what you need. Now when it comes to the draft, after we kind of what Ross just said, get somebody in the secondary. A J.C. Horn would be huge. I think also building a little bit more depth on the defensive side of the football because you're going to have to get rid of Trey Hendrickson. You have to get rid of him. He's probably going to be the next guy in line and let him kind of walk and not bring him back. Marcus Davenport, he hasn't panned out the way we thought he would. You got to try and figure out some stuff there. But I think your first pick needs to be on the secondary. Second pick would probably wind up being more on the defensive line. And then I'd say one of your two compensatory picks has to be, has to be a quarterback. Just give me a warm body in day two. I think that's where I'm at right now. I think there's a good potential Guy in there. Maybe not Garrett Grayson. I know I got a lot of people puking right now just hearing that name. But that's going to be where I kind of land at right here, right now. Meanwhile, we're at half for the Tennessee-Alabama game. Right after that's done, 25 minutes after that, LSU basketball will be on the air. So, yeah, we'll have that right here on 103.7 The Game pregame. 
be a 30-minute pregame. I believe like I think they're scheduled to be at 2 o'clock, but of course, we'll see how long the second half goes. Could be a little bit after that. Either way, you'll hear it right here on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana Sports Station, and if LSU wins and Tennessee wins, this can set up really nicely for LSU to at least come away with, to have even better of a chance. Because if you're playing Alabama, good luck, God bless, in the finals of the SEC tournament. But that's about it. I will talk to you next week, maybe. We'll see about that. We'll we'll just kind of see about how all this goes. Until then, see you.